Hello, dear friends, and welcome to the Great Day Podcast. I'm your friend and host, Mayor Kay. Thank you so much for tuning in and taking the time to listen to this podcast episode. And if you're a returning listener, thank you so much. And if you're new to the podcast, welcome, welcome, welcome. Take a minute, subscribe, rate, comment. Please do. It goes a long, long way. Now, today we have with us the author of The Healed Empath, Kristen Schwartz. She is an incredible human being who has a whole lot of experience around highly sensitive people empath. I'm an empath. I just recently found out I'm an empath. How crazy is that? How cool? Well, she helps me navigate that. I've always realized I've been, had a lot of sensitivity around people and energy and taking on people's energy and not knowing how to navigate that all well. I get a whole lot of tips in that sphere in this podcast, as well as learning a whole lot about trauma, healing, all that good stuff. Kristen has degrees in counseling and psychology. She has a certification in trauma recovery. She is passionate. She lives with a purpose. And I know you're going to enjoy this podcast with her. So sit back, relax, go for a run if that's what you're doing too. However, how you like to enjoy podcasts, enjoy this podcast. Thank you again. Kristen, it's such a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Uh, thank you so much for being here. And I'm really excited to uh, learn all about what it means to be an empath and how uh, one could discover if they're one and how they can show up more powerfully and beautifully in the world. Absolutely. I'm so glad to be here. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, as we just were discussing before the podcast, I hit record. Um, what really got me going and, and curious about your work is recently someone reached out to me and said, Hey, Mayor, I think you're an empath. I've always been told I'm a sensitive person growing up. I didn't want to hear it, especially coming from my dad. Um, yeah. But it, uh, it was something that I knew deep inside. I knew because I would get triggered by it. I'm like, no, no, I'm not enough holding my emotions. I would avoid situations. And I thought, I mean, I was a social, I'm a social guy, but I would, you know, looking back in hindsight, I realized those, those social situations or those people were complex where there was, you know, uh, chaos. There was a lot of different types of gray area emotions that I just wouldn't know how to process. Uh, sure. I still do. So I would just, I think, avoid it and shut down and then, give the opposite effect of not being sensitive or more cold and distant. Yeah. Um, so, and now only as I go into my, you know, healing journey, do I recognize and realize that I have like just extreme sensitivity to people, places, and things that I, my default is to close up and, and, uh, and, and not engage. Does that sound about right? Am I, is this something that perhaps would be a, a character trait of someone who's an empath? Yeah, I mean, it sounds perfectly all right, and it's your journey. Um, I'm, I'm really curious, though, and I know this is a question back at you, but it seems like you went the direction of really putting yourself out there and being a social type of guy. So how have you navigated that internal desire to shut down around emotions, but then also put yourself out there? Because I ask you this, because I went the direct opposite route. And because I felt so much, I saw the general public as a threat to my well-being and peace, and I hid myself away as much as possible. Yeah, interesting. I think for so, for so long, I was disconnected to a lot of myself. I think when I was in control of the scenario of the social scene, I just knew my part. I knew my role. I knew my script. Um, I knew how I was being seen and what I was very clear on how I was projecting myself. Then I felt very comfortable. Later on now, only these past couple of years, 
as I shed those masks and skins, do I realize like, wait, what happens? And still I can show up very powerfully and like and flow when I know what's going on, but when it's the uncertainty, when I have to be very vulnerable, when I, when I don't know who, new places and, and, and situations, that's when I, I get social anxiety and I get scared and then I start feeling certain things and I don't know what to do with myself. Right. So is it kind of like you're uncovering like the way that, the ways that you've learned to cope with it. And now you're like, okay, without this mask, how do I navigate my feelings fully, right? Without oh. stepping back into those coping mechanisms as quickly as we sometimes do. Truly, and also to be able to hold space more for people and places. I want I want to be able to step more into mentorship roles, and people do come to, and get attracted to my to my energy, and they ask questions, they want and they want and some guidance. And I find that sometimes I take on people's energy and I just, and, and I, and I get sad, you know, I'm, I'm in partnership. And when, if my partner gets sad or is in chaos or is just confused and I find myself falling into that, instead of being the rock that I could be, I get a lot more um, frightened. And like, I just, and I fall, I'm like, wait, what, why am I right now in this mood when I was a few minutes ago in this really joyous space and place? So I think it's a skill set to learn how to, how to do that, to learn. And that's a question I would perhaps lean into right now. It's like, how does one learn, you know, and someone who's listening, like how do they practice the skill set to not, to learn what's their own energy, what's their own emotion and what's somebody else's to identify yeah. that. And then to also separate that. Yeah, fantastic question. Um, and I'll say, like, I posted today on Instagram, and it was a post talking about energetic boundaries. And that's something a lot of us, when we come into this new awareness of like, oh, hey, I might be a highly sensitive person, and I might be an empath. Um, and it's really that first step of opening up self-awareness and that willingness to grow in how we see ourselves. Because a lot of times, when we first realize that we're highly sensitive, a lot of times we'll work really hard at trying to get the world to accept this new found, you know, power that we have, but we've always had it. We've been denying it, but we want the world to accept our sensitivity before we truly do. And I really believe that the first step is self-awareness and then looking at ourselves really deeply and going, okay, what parts of myself I've been hiding and rejecting. And those are the parts that's where you start. Because as we step into who we truly are, then the world just kind of falls into place, right? It's really how we see ourselves is, is the world, you know, responds to that part of us. So it's self-awareness is step one. So, I mean, how would you know if you are like, well, first of all, before I jump into this question, yeah. what's the difference you're, you're seeing the terminology, highly sensitive person, and we're also using the word empath. Yeah. Is there a difference there or just two ways of saying the same thing? Yeah, there is a difference. So a highly sensitive person, one's feelings, they tune in, they have those mirror neurons in their brain where they can go, oh, wow, this person's feeling sad. And they'll notice that before other people where an empath will notice how that person's feeling, but also feel those feelings within their own body. So that's the difference. It's the feeling of the emotions and the feelings within their body. Great. I'm going to ask you that question one more time because it got a little yeah. disconnected in the beginning part. Sure. So yeah. I'll ask you, um, so before I jump into my next question, I we're using two different terminologies here, one of which is the highly sensitive person and empath. And I'm curious to know, are they the same thing or just two different ways of saying, you know, explaining what an empath is? Yeah, they're two, they're slightly different. So empaths are highly sensitive, but not all highly sensitive people are empaths. Okay. So the difference is the highly sensitive person can notice the subtleties of someone, how they're feeling and kind of tap into what that person is going through, where an empath actually feels the feelings within their own body. So if someone's feeling sad, 
we can feel empathy and actually you know, notice the sadness and maybe even tear up, but an empath is actually going to feel the sadness within their body. Mm. Okay. Got that. So what, then what is, are you saying most people in life are not as sensitive to with a highly sensitive person? Like what, what, how does one self-diagnose himself? Yeah. Right. So like, yeah. I guess with the empath, I could, I could sort of feel like, okay, I could get that. Cause I feel their sadness or energy, the excitement in a very real way in my body. But sometimes a highly sensitive person between someone who's just a sensitive person, how do they know? Um, yeah. What that difference is, or is, is there a sort of a, a line in the sand there? Well, um, a lot of people reach out and ask that question. Like, I want to know for sure. Give me some quiz, you know, help me self-diagnose, as you said. Yeah. Um, the answer I always give is you're the only person that knows how you experience the world, right? And asking someone else to define that for you is really disempowering. So it can you stand in front of someone else who's talking about walking their dog and not showing anxiety as in that story, but you sense something underneath the story. You're feeling angst and you're like, oh, something else is up besides the story about walking their dog. Like we will tap into the energy under the words, even if the words are benign and just like your random small talk. Mm. So an empath is going to notice that mm. and feel it. Got it. And then why do you find, and do you find, because this is also something that's come up for me recently is this codependency aspect that I have in my life. So like, so is that like, where does it get healthy and unhealthy? Because you say there's a certain superpower, which I understand, like being an empath, being someone who's highly sensitive, uh, you have the ability to be able to help people and understand and really feel what they're going through. But, yeah. you know, you call codependency a gift. I've heard that, I think, in one of your podcasts. And I find like, whoa, why is that even a gift for me? That's I'm sort of new to this. Um, <laughs> I haven't really shared much about that aspect of myself, but um, but it's something that I don't find as a gift, perhaps. I find it, I'm still in the stage where I'm like, oh my God, I wish I didn't have this. Because, you know, like, yeah, I, I want to be codependent. I want to be independent. I want to be, my, I consider myself an independent, you know, person. Yet here I find myself, you know, more in a, in a partnership where I'm like, oh my God, um, what's, how she feel? What's she up to? Um, thinking a lot about the other person, neglecting my own self. And um, so how would you say that is a gift? And, and where does that line, where's that line between being helpful to other people and then being destructive to yourself? Yeah. Oh my gosh, uh, you've touched on a very important subject. And I will say codependency leads to a lot of suffering in most people. And I'm raising my hand right now, recovering codependent, and I still go back and forth. I really have to watch um, my minds, my thoughts, my triggers, and because I can easily go back into like coping. So codependency really is putting someone else's wants before your needs, right? So we have to go back to that level of self-awareness when when do we, when is it easy for us to flip that switch and put someone else's wants over our needs? And why, who did we learn that from? How is that modeled to us in our life? And what need do we feel like we're getting met by showing up that way? And there is a need that got met when we first started showing those codependency traits. Mm. And that's that same need that unconsciously our mind, our brain thinks that we're getting met, but as adults, it's not going to work for us at all. Codependency is just self-sabotage, really. Now, empaths have a very high um, probability of having codependency traits. So being an empath is a gift. Um, and it, like I said, with the energetic boundaries, it's a matter of how can I show up for this person and be the kind, loving individual that I am without sacrificing 
my own, my boundaries and my well-being. And a lot of us as codependents, we, we, we cross over that line and we're putting their wants before our need, before our actual basic needs. Right. So it's true. I, I listen, I, I'm a, I'm a kind person. I like to help people. Uh, I like to see people smile and be in a good mood. And, and sometimes maybe it's, it's not great. I'm starting to realize like, you know, it's okay for people to be in a bad mood or to be in a sad mood and not have to change that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but I, I think that, that a lot of that comes from my, you know, from the inner child, from growing up as a child and seeing that kind of like behavior, like, you know, it's sure. not okay to be in a sad space, like be happy, be this, be that, rather just being in the present moment and accepting the feelings that are taking place. Mm-hmm. Um, but that being said, I mean, there is, I, I guess there's also like a certain level of people pleasing in that, in the codependency and like, and if, and correct me if I'm wrong, where like you're, you're trying to just like be accepted or be loved and afraid of abandonment and, and all that kind of uh, work that takes place. So if someone says, Hey, I'm a kind person, I, I enjoy helping people. Does that make me a codependent? How do, how do you answer that? How do you, uh, um, your intention behind helping, um, and is the intention to truly show up for that person or is the intention and you have to be truly, you have to be really honest with yourself. And, and be okay with whatever comes up. Am I helping this person because it feels good for me to be the helper? It feels good to be needed. Am I helping this person because honestly, I want them to be a little bit dependent on me because I feel like I'm needed. Like you're filling that need um, that a lot of times is just unconscious. You're just falling into people pleasing because we learn maybe as children that Um, our parents relied on us too much as children. We end up being the fixer and making our parents feel better. And we learned, oh, wow, this feels good. Actually, I get praise from adults when I manage their feelings, when I manage their life for them. So it's really, like I said, that journey of self-discovery of like, oh, wow, why am I really doing this? So it's really about intention. You can help another person as long as you know, is this really what's best for them? And then we go into like, think about all the times in your life where um, S has hit the fan and you figured it out yourself and you were like, wow, I'm capable of that. This Mm -hmm. is amazing. And a lot of times when we people please, we're, we're kind of stepping over that individual boundary, that invisible boundary where we're allowing, we're robbing them of that moment of like, oh, I, I could, I can do this. Right. So that's why intention is so incredibly important because we can mess up that for someone else. Mm. Discovering like how empowered they are to make their own decisions and fix their own stuff. And here's another thing I want to make sure we know is like, if we're picking up on so many feelings and emotions of other people, like 99% of it is none of our business because we're, we're feeling what they're feeling. And maybe they're not even willing or ready to talk about what they're feeling yet. Maybe they're not even in that space where they want to share that. And if we're feeling it and then we're stepping in to try to fix it before they're ready, we're not helping them. Mm-hmm. Could you give me an example of what that would look like? What, what do you mean? What, a scenario, pay me a picture of what that means. Like when two people, when one person is able to pick up on something that that is too soon to, to express like what you're at a dinner party or you're at a park. Like how set, are we talking about? You're really, yeah. are you feeling, are you really, um, you know, think, hearing people's thoughts or what, what's really going on over here? Well, for me, I can only explain how it is for me. Yes. So 
for me, let's say I'm at a dinner party and I'm talking to, I'm talking to a woman and she's just talking small talk, right? In my body, I'm sensing whether she's nervous, whether she's actually stressed out about something that happened before, maybe with her spouse, they just had an argument in the car on the way over. I'm sensing stuff underneath of the word. So before I became aware of what was happening, I would constantly internalize that. So if I'm picking up on anxiety in her body and I'm feeling it within mine, I would think, what did I do? I must have done something. I might have, I, maybe I looked at her weird or maybe I said something that offended her. Like I would think because I didn't understand what I was picking up on. I thought, oh, wow, I must have done something to make her feel this way. But that's what it's, that's what it was like for me for many, many years. Like, what am I feeling here? This isn't mine. I came to this party. I'm feeling amazing, but I sense it within her. And then I would go, okay, she just wants to talk about, she just wants to small talk, small talk, but I'm sensing there's something so much deeper going on within her. Then I would have this lack of trust. Well, she doesn't trust me. And she's not telling me the truth about like what's really going on with her. So how can I trust her if she's not being open? Like, mm. There were just so many things going on back years ago when I did not understand myself at all. So take me back to that place, if you don't mind, um, yeah. like where like the journey and where the type of person you were before you had the awareness of, of being a very highly sensitive person. Mm-hmm. Um, how are you operating in the world? And if you could take me to that lead up to that moment where you recognize like, wait, this is, this, there's something else going on over here. That is a huge story. <laughs> And one, we can talk, like do a whole show just about my journey. So who was I and how was I living before I really realized um, how I was created? So I was just coping and surviving, um, barely surviving. I was miserable in the world um, because by the time I got through college, um, the world was just this thing that scared the crap out of me. People, I didn't know like what I was walking into. Anytime I went to a social event or around new people, I was just inundated by feelings and energy. And it just, life just felt really bad. Um, So I was afraid of relationships. I would kind of dip my toe in wanting connection so bad, but that as soon as I picked up on anything that was off or energy, any energy that felt odd to me or any feelings that didn't match the words I was out Mm. because I had learned over time that, um, well, I equated that to not being able to be not trusting others and not feeling safe. So it was many, many years of just torture, um, and not feeling safe. And so I hit a wall about, um, it's been about six and a half years ago. Um, I had started, my spiritual journey. I was meditating every day. I was really diving into reading as much as I could. I knew that I was highly intuitive. Um, and that got passed down from my mom's side of the family. My grandmother was, um, my mother is. And so I knew, um, I was highly intuitive. So I started to like dabble into, I was reading different books. Um, and I, went into meditation this, this afternoon, this one afternoon, and I prayed before meditation. And I just said, whatever's holding me back, I'm ready. Just bring it to the forefront. You know, I'm ready. 
um, by like three o'clock that afternoon. And I call this my spiritual awakening because there's, it's just, it was brutal. Um, by the middle of that afternoon, I was rocking in the corner of this room actually that I'm sitting in. Um, and over that next year, everything like my traumas, um, my false beliefs and, um, coping mechanisms, everything that was causing me tremendous suffering came forward and I could see it all. And so then I spent that next year kind of peeling the onion back and healing layer by layer by layer by layer. And as I did that, you know, truth would bubble up. Okay. Wow. And I, I was seeing things like I'd never had seen them before. And with that, my intuition grew stronger. Um, my ability to see what I needed. Um, and, and I'm still in that where I'm still peeling layers back. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a long, long life up until that point, <laughs> long and brutal. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot in that story that I could connect with, especially like picking up on, you know, let's say someone's words, but seeing in their eyes that it's not what they're mean or what they say. And that's yeah. so hard. And I and to connect with what you're saying about <clears throat> that distrust, like, Hey, is this something that I said or did something wrong? Or yeah. why aren't they not sharing with me? Why aren't they not opening up with me? Why aren't we going there right now? Um, right. And so um, there's there's definitely that aspect. I heard it's actually interesting. Like this story, like three people could go into a, a party, two of them could leave with no no problem, and one person just has to spend the next week talking to his therapist because like he was just or she was just so sensitive to all the different emotions taking place in the room. Like just people are sometimes a lot more in tune, uh, not for better or for worse, but just more sensitive to the world around them. You know, dogs could hear certain sounds and birds could see certain colors that we humans can't see and hear. Um, Some people just have that ability to to pick up on things that other people just don't have um, access to. More, more naturally, I'm sure people want to really work on themselves and peel back those layers. So that's that's really that's really amazing and brave of you to be able to say, "Hey, I'm ready. Let's let's take this on and and to start going down that going that that way." Um, what were some of those pitfalls and um, challenges that took place while you were navigating that new space of, you know, learning to trust yourself, uh, how to create boundaries? Um, what were some things that you know? Perhaps mm-hmm. these could maybe turn into some tips as to say, like, where's, where's the place to like, to draw those lines and how, and what we could avoid to, as we go ahead and, and grow in this, in this arena. Yeah. Um, so many, um, I'm going to choose a couple. So I think some of the pitfalls for me, and I think this is going to be pretty universal across the board for people um, that are healing is not getting stuck in shame um, because as I healed and peeled the layers back, you know, I start and also not try not to judge yourself when you go through the different, um, I guess, phases of healing, um, all the emotions kind of came up. I had to go through this phase of like, just being angry, um, and trying not to judge my, judge myself, not anger where like, cause anger is perfectly fine and healthy. It's when we use anger to abuse other people, yell, shout, um, offload our anger onto others. That's what's toxic and not healthy. So it's like feeling the anger fully, um, but then not getting stuck in blame, right? So like when I was healing the parts around childhood trauma and the beliefs and thoughts and the triggers I had around my inner child still, um, feeling the anger that my inner child wanted to feel towards the adults that harmed me when I was a child, but not getting stuck in that, realizing that it's just a natural part. And if I can just 
allow myself to fully feel the anger, express it, write it, you know, sing it, whatever I needed to do, that I would naturally move on to whatever the next phase of that healing was. Another part um, that is brutal is seeing how your coping mechanisms that were there to help me survive, of course, but see how they actually harmed others mm-hmm. and knowing like, um, reconciling that balance between, okay, I understand that they were there to help me survive and thanking that child who developed those coping mechanisms. But then at this, in the same breath going, now I'm an adult and I see all the people that I harmed through my trauma and the way that I was surviving. So sitting with that um, and continually sitting with that and forgiving yourself over and over and over. That's all right, man. Forgiving oneself. What would you share yeah. one or two of those coping mechanisms that served as an, as a child, but now you have to let go as an adult. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I think I had said earlier, one of them was um, dipping my toe in and then running as soon as I sensed any energy that was off that I judged as off. Mm -hmm. Um, or, um, as I judged people as if you, if you're not able to tell me what that energy is underneath your words, then I can't trust you, but not understanding myself enough to have any conversations around it whatsoever, because in my body, I was not safe. So I had to get out of there as quickly as possible. So that is a coping mechanism that harms other people because I'm continually abandoning them, Mm -hmm. right. Thinking that I'm protecting myself. That was a huge one. Um, that was my go-to is isolating and hiding away. And I still, like, I still have struggle with that. Like, yeah. <laughs> I want to do that so much all the time. So now I realize like, okay, I either, I don't want to unconsciously isolate. I want to consciously isolate. So I use it now as like self-care. Okay, I had a busy weekend. I know that if I'm going to show up as the best wife and mother and business person that I need to actually rest for the next 12 hours and not answer my phone and no social media or whatever, I'm consciously isolating for self-care. Where before I would just push myself, hit a wall and then hide away for two weeks and not Mm -hmm. talk to anyone. Right. Yeah. So just continually being abandoned. Sounds like me. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Pushing wow. through. Did, yeah. So how were you able to lock down? Like, you know, you were, you were hiding away so much. How was it uh, you're able to like find your sailing? You're married. Uh, you mm-hmm. have a family. How is it that you were able to cross that bridge when you were unconscious at the time? And when I say unconscious in the sense towards the um, sensitivity aspect of your life uh, to, to stick around long enough to, to meet this person was, and I guess that leads into my next question, which is um, could two highly sensitive people to empaths, work together, be in a romantic relationship. Uh, if, is there too much sensitivity there? Do you need someone who could like be, you know, a little less, maybe, or I'll say more grounded? I don't, maybe the right terminology. Yeah. Okay. Good question. So there's two questions in there. Yes. So how did I get to where um, I'm at now? Okay. So that reminded me another one of my coping mechanisms was um, I internalized very young, um, by the time I was in late elementary school, because of my big traumas that, um, I had to prove my worthiness. And so, um, some people might have coped with that by just completely shutting down or, um, substance abuse, or, um, they're all coping mechanisms, um, where I push myself 
to prove constantly. So even if I'm, you know, barely surviving emotionally or psychologically, I'm pushing myself to graduate. I'm pushing myself through college. I'm pushing myself through graduate school. Like, because that was to me how I was going to somehow arrive at this place where I was no longer feeling so much pain. So um, even though I wasn't doing it, I could have done it better because I was struggling. Um, up until I had my awakening about six and a half years ago, it was, it was a coping mechanism that was getting me to have a marriage and degrees and stuff like that. It was just this constant need to prove something and arrive at this place where I wasn't hurt anymore. Got it. Got yeah. it. Yeah. That's, that's. And then what was your second question? So, oh, so that's, so yeah. So oh, yeah. Yeah. So it's clarified. So pushing yourself, going through college and getting, and getting married was like, even though you were yeah. so, so uncomfortable and you realize this pattern taking place, you push through so you could get, attain this, this uh, social accolade, so to speak marriage right. and then but recognizing right. wait that's not bringing me to happiness that's not stopping the pain and right. that that sort of led you to one more step to look inside and to work on that spiritual waking that yeah. helps some transformation got it yeah and the i wonder how that conversation went afterwards with the with the with your partner in the sense of like i only pushed through because i I wanted this and like and then as you as you unravel and yeah. like discover yourself who you are you must be a whole different person than you were before, but that's maybe a conversation to have on with, with yeah. the, uh, part two. Uh, yes. <laughs> yes. the story. Yeah, um, that was a journey for sure. Journey, for sure, um, yeah. awesome. But yeah, the, the second question was was um, is it is it too much to ask? Like, is it is it possible for two highly sensitive people to empaths to be in a romantic relationship together? Yeah, hundred percent. But here's the thing: like, if you're both showing up and you accept who you are and you're living your life independently to care for your needs, then yeah, you absolutely can come together. And you, you know, all of us can, I don't think we're limited at all. It's just a matter of like, how well do you know yourself? How well are you being, are you able to show up fully who you are? And, and can your partner see that? Can you see that in each other and honor both of your needs and spaces to take care of yourself? Then yeah, I mean, right. To, to get to a place of comfortability where it's like when that person honors their needs and that could be right alone time, going on a hike, going on a trip, perhaps spending time with other people or themselves that it doesn't reflect on their lack of love towards you or connection towards you. Right. Where that could, that could, that's huge. That's something that I yeah, connect with where like, it's understanding that that's, it's okay that they could do that and you could do that. And, and that's actually healthy for each person to right. live life. And that, and that's, a continuous and that's really where the choice is right we're choosing each other rather than controlling yeah. each other and uh needing and needing each other being in that needy yeah. space yeah um, i think that was an eye-opener for me too is um realizing what i needed to actually thrive and how different society models what we should all be doing to thrive so to me it's like okay if you live with someone who's not sensitive or maybe an extrovert they're getting their needs met just by living a normal life, right? Normal, I mean, normal is like what's modeled to us where we don't even think about, oh, they're getting their needs met. But for a highly sensitive person or an introvert to get our needs met because it's not modeled in society, it's, it's this weird thing. Like, um, and I say that because of my own experience. I remember years ago, um, we went, my husband and I had flown to uh, Malibu for a wedding and 
we had arrived late because we are on East Coast time. They were all there partying. Um, we showed up at this hotel and we walked into the room and there's tons of people there. Now, when I walk into a crowded space, I walk in slowly and I need time to adjust to the energy in the room. And then I scan the room and I'm just kind of like checking out different pockets. And I need to do that to keep my nervous system calm. I need to ease into things. Um, and I remember I was doing that and my brother-in-law came up to me and he said, when you enter the room, you need to say hello to people. And I remember like, and this is back when I truly understood myself and why I did what I naturally did. Um, and I thought, oh yeah, you know, I guess I'm being rude, right? But that's how a lot of people look at someone who is highly sensitive and is just trying to meet their own needs because they're used to seeing other people do it differently, right? And then that can, that caused me to go, oh, wow, should I be pushing myself to be different? Mm. Which actually, when I did that, it pushed myself away from the best parts of who I was. I was denying that part of me. Mm. Wow. What a clear example. Like also like this, this person, this brother-in-law, like also projecting what he thinks is the way things should be and, and, or, and his attitude or his energy to you and to be aware is like, Whoa, that's your stuff. I mean, that's what you got to do when you walk into the, into a room, but looking, knowing that you got to show up fully as yourself and to be comfortable in the room. So you could engage with people. You need to take this time when you walk in and not judge yourself. Right. Cause like I can see myself saying in that scenario and I've done in similar scenarios where it's like, I should be doing this right now. I should be as, as I'm in the scenario, as I'm in the social scene, to just give that example, it's like, I should be this way. I should be that way. I should be changing one, change, 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 change. And then I, my anxiety just picks up even more Then I have to leave and, to, you know, come back in. And then, oh my God, people realize that I left. Um, instead of just accepting the constant, the, the moment, like, this is how I am. This is who I am. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's where the great, the, where the awareness pays off is when you know yourself so well, you're able to accept yourself better. And then in more, in the kinder way, and yeah. be more present and show up more powerfully and, and, yeah. and be, be who you are, not what the social standards may feel look like and be. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And it's comments like that too. Like if you have those codependent stra- or codependent tendencies from childhood or you're more apt to be a people pleaser, then you, I jumped into like, okay, uh, yeah, you're right. I need to change myself. Right. Because I'm putting his wants over my actual needs. So, yeah. What are, what are some common um, conversations I would say in relationship that you've come across? I know some of the things that you do, you're, you're, you, you, you coach groups, you do one-on-one coaching. Uh, so you, you have, I'm sure a lot of experience. You just came out with a book as well, which we're going to let people know about. Um, but through your experience uh, talking with people, like are there certain commonalities that uh, couples come across um, that, that there's like a certain disconnect where like one, one, uh, partner wants something or feels like they, they're expressing themselves in a certain way, but they're, but it's really not great for that second partner who may be an empath or highly sensitive person. What are some of those like, uh, broken communications that you've come across that, um, if someone who's listening is part of me experience that now could realize, Oh, wait, that that's something that we should talk about in, in our partnership. Yeah. Great question. So, I'll say this. So usually when um, people are coming to me and they, it's usually around boundaries, right? So they, they've come into this new um, level of self-awareness or like, okay, I know now this is what I need to 
be happy. This is when I need to thrive. Um, and then there's that belief of, but my partner, this and that, and this and that, right? So it's more about like, how do I change my partner? How do I get my partner to do this instead of that? Um, and then there's a lot of fear around that too, of, okay, what if they don't accept me for who I am? What if they, what if they're not willing to grow and expand with me? Mm -hmm. um, and then you have to isolate that fear too and go, okay, you know, what, what if they don't, what if they aren't open to your boundaries? Um, so it's fear. It's, there's this almost a disempowerment of thinking that, and I was there too, uh, the only way I can get peace being who I am is if the world changes, like that person's energy needs to change. That person needs to change. Mm -hmm. Um, which I, again, believe that seeing that and believing that is part of the journey, right? Just not getting stuck in that belief. Um, but setting boundaries within a relationship is usually the, the biggest stumbling block, especially if you didn't have boundaries before. Mm. What it's is boundaries around this newfound awareness of yourself? Yes. Oh, I know, I know over the course of the last 15 years, it, we've been doing it this way, but we need to do it differently now. And that's why I want to ask, what's, a, what's a, a boundary or two that you could give an example that's unhealthy and, and difference is healthy? So a boundary is, is about honoring and loving yourself. Mm -hmm. Sometimes if we haven't had boundaries in our life and they weren't modeled to us, can be very, very uncomfortable at first to set them. And they can be set from a space of, again, that person needs to change instead of grounded in, no, this is self-love, not control. Mm -hmm. um, so an example would be, um, could it be also like, yeah, not showing up to perhaps a dinner that you usually go to, but knowing that you're, this is so me, like speaking, asking for a friend. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. They're like, I think you're about to jump in and give your own example, but let's say uh, like if you're, um, yeah, if, if your family gets together on a certain holiday or a certain time of the year and it's super triggering and it's just someone who's there is unhealthy for you at the time to say no to that and to do something that brings you joy or to, or to say, Hey guys, you know, this year I'm going to step out, which, you know, yeah. could make them feel, Oh, you don't love them. You're not showing up for family. That's a big one. Or, um, come on, just grow up. Uh, but really <laughs> that, would that be a valid, uh, boundary? Oh yeah. That's a, that is a valid boundary because it's set from your awareness of your own needs and putting, um, would you say that would be a time limit or is it you not going at all? Well, it'll be, it would be for this time, right? It'd be this time. And like, and then as you, you know, as I say, I grow and, and heal and then perhaps, yeah, next time I would be able to show up because perhaps now, like you're saying, the, the, mm -hmm. the, the, the narrative is that that place or that person is the problem. Mm -hmm. um, and so until I could work through that and realize that I, if I grow those energetic um, boundaries, like you mentioned, and something I would want to talk about more um once i have a little more footing and a little more um like knowing how to operate then i can show up in those places those places won't change right it'll be the same dinner party it'll yes. the same people yes. rather it's the me the person yes. who's changed absolutely absolutely and i always i give this example because this is the same type of boundary you're talking about is 
Um, if you have a wound, right, and it's an open wound on your hand and you continually keep poking at it, it's, you're not giving it the space to heal. And the same with um, if you have emotional wounds and you know that they're linked to trauma and you're more apt to be triggered by them, right? Which draws you back into the same coping reactive type of zone. So setting a boundary and saying, hey, I'm not gonna go to this dinner this year. You're not asking for any of them to change. You're giving, you're, you're loving and honoring yourself enough to give yourself some space, right? And you're consciously choosing to take that space you're giving yourself and heal. So in the future, your boundary, boundaries can be a little bit more um, flexible, right? And the stronger you get, right? The more you work out the mental muscle that you're gonna be able to put yourself back into an environment that's not abusive by the way, but just a lot of people, we all are fellow strugglers. And so other people have trauma that they haven't healed also you're going to be able to put yourself back in that situation and it's not going to hurt so much. It's not going to set you back so far. You're going to have space to respond differently. Mm. Yeah. True. So that's a, that's a really healthy boundary. Well, tell me, so part of that workout is to learn how to, let's say, put up these, uh, these boundaries or these, uh, these borders, or how would you pronounce, how'd you say these, uh, spiritual, um, energetic, energetic boundaries. Energetic yeah. boundaries. Yes. Yeah. Um, what does that actually mean uh, for someone who's new to this, this terminology, energy and, and boundary? And what, what is that? Is that really just learning how to say no when, um, or is it something more than that? Yeah. So to keep it really simple, it's our ability to be around other people when they're going through their stuff and us to sit with it, notice it and let it go instead of noticing it internalizing it and making our making it our job to make it better fix it or think about it or be triggered by it so it's a matter of like just like meditation with our with just ourselves sitting with the uncomfortableness that is someone else's energy and issues and not making it ours so how much of our energy are we spending focusing on other people's energy yeah yeah obsessing about it thinking about yeah. it, Could thinking it be? we need to fix it wondering what it is I mean, as soon as we notice, so if I'm, if I'm sitting with you and we're at a coffee shop and you're talking about your podcast and, but you had a fight with your partner an hour before, and I'm sensing some, some underlying energy there. So the second I notice it, if I add my thoughts, my beliefs, and my story to it, I've made it mine. It's mine. And now it's my job to take care of it or figure out how to let go of it. But most of us do it so quickly that just like that, I'm taking your energy and what you're feeling and I'm adding my story from my past to it. And that I'm, even if I were to give you advice around it, it's going to be filtered through my own life, right? Yeah. So it's like noticing it. Okay. That feels weird. Um, and then just letting it pass right through us. Almost like our, we're a hollow tube, just like letting yeah. it go, letting wow. it go. Yeah. Wow. Truly. So are you, are you picking up anything right now as we're doing this podcast? Are you feeling any underlying energy and or inks or something that you. Um, no, because I'm my, all my energy right now is just on focusing on me, maintaining my nervous system and like staying chill mm -hmm. because these situations, like I said, I'm, I cope through hiding away. Like even I have you know, I, I do really well on Instagram or whatever, but I still do very little videos and lives. Like I don't ever do lives. I put myself out there as little as possible and I'm trying to do more and more. 
But even doing videos with this with you, it takes a lot of my energy to maintain my nervous system. Got it. So after something like this, this not necessarily does, you're giving a lot, not necessarily you getting a lot. So after this, you would, or maybe you are getting something from this, I hope so. But you, after this, you would just take some time to like just regroup before with yourself before you engage into the next task and with family or with work. Yep. Usually when I do an interview like this, um, where I'm, I know that I'm maintaining my nervous system, I will uh, turn on music and I will shake it out get out as much as the nervous energy as I can afterwards. And then I go outside and I'm in nature and I'll eat lunch outside. Um, but yeah, I have to do that. Wow. So you've, you, you're definitely giving a lot of time towards this. This is a prep before and then after as well. So I thank you for, oh, yeah. for really yeah. showing this. I do that with my client sessions too. Like I have to turn on music before, shake it out, shake it out, shake it out, and then have to do the same thing after I meet with them. So Wow. Got it. Mm-hmm. So tell me, so tell me a little bit about your, the book that you, um, you, you came out with, you were in the healed empath. Um, is that something that just, you always knew one, you, from a child, you always wanted to write a book and you just now found this, this journey and wrote about it. What are, and, and, uh, and what are some things, some takeaways from the book that people could, uh, could look forward to when they, when they go ahead and read it? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for asking. Um, it's been an amazing journey. Um, my publisher reached out to me. Um, it'll be a year and a half ago. Um, I've had write my book deal on my um, vision board over there to the left of me um, for three years. Wow. So I, I like to say, and I believe I was just in the flow and it found me. Um, and the book um, goes into, I go a lot into my own personal journey and discovery, um, how life was before I understood that I was an empath and the journey of healing, not only my own trauma, um, but all the beliefs and issues that, um, you know, that show up consistently from my past. And I talk a lot about the science of being highly sensitive and the brain differences. Um, and also I talk about, um, how, when we go through trauma, that a lot of us can have the brain, the changes in our brain that make us hypervigilant. Mm. So we can actually end up, we end up noticing those little subtleties and the differences in, in human beings because of trauma and kind of, um, explaining that we, as an empath to empower ourselves, we have two journeys that kind of happen at the same time this self-awareness of like what we've been through as a human being and how that affects us as adults. And also how do we empower ourselves and the gifts that we have as empaths? How do we um, strengthen our connection to our intuition? How do we protect our energy? So it was really an amazing experience to write that. And I'm so excited for everyone to get a copy. So. Awesome. 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 We'll definitely link that up and, um, and, and do that. And um, I guess before there's two last questions, you just touched on it, which I, I know is quite important, um, which is uh, the intuition part, right? Learning how to, to tap into that intuition, to trust oneself, not looking at perhaps outside for validation and for, 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 for guidance, but to really tap into that. Is that come back? Does that come back to just the breath, to the, um, to sitting with it, to, to what, what are some, ways for someone to start trusting themselves, learning how to tap into their inner tuition. Yeah, absolutely. So um, our inner, our inner voice is very quiet and very subtle. So the better we are at calming our mind, bringing ourselves back to calm after a storm and being able to sit with ourselves in silence, the more we're going to start to notice those little nudges from our intuition. 
Um, so that's super important, the spiritual practice. And it can be connection to nature. Whatever brings your mind a little bit calmer is, is great. It doesn't have to be sitting in a, you know, meditative pose and, you know, you can find out what works for you. But I also did like fun things when I was first wanting to um, strengthen my intuition. So there's different card games you can do. Um, there's different writing activities you can do. And people can connect with that um, on my website. I have a journal that they can download for free that has intuition exercises in there. So you can make it a lot of fun. Awesome. Okay, yeah. great. Yeah. I'll be sure to check that out. Um, yeah. So tell, yeah, share where, where people connect with you and find you and uh, learn more about you. Yeah. So over on Instagram, I am realized empath and then realizedempath.com is where you can actually connect to my website and download that journal for yourself. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so, so much for, for being here today and sharing. I know I've, I learned a lot and, and uh, experienced a lot and I'm sure many people are listening and we'll, we'll do we'll as well. So thank you very, very thank much. You. Thank you so much. I love being here. That's a wrap on this podcast episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. And thank you, Kristen, for sharing your experience and your wisdom with me and with all of us today. And if you haven't yet, please subscribe to the podcast. Give it a like, comment. It goes a long way. And like I always say, stay positive, be happy. I'm Mayor Kay and have a great day.